Hi, I'm Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're going to talk to a movement catalyst who's been in the game for 30 years. He's seen multiplying movements among unreached people groups in Southeast Asia. His name is Stan Parks. So my parents were missionaries in Indonesia, and they did some interesting things that were against the grain. Um, and so I learned a lot of uh, a lot of the principles from them. And then when I was in high school and college in the eighty, my dad was at the IMB, and he helped put together uh, this effort that uh, had Bill Smith and uh, you know Bill and Susan Smith and David and Jan Watson and Curtis and Debbie Sargent. And David Garrison and other folks try crazy stuff. And a lot of a lot of what they tried kind of laid the groundwork for what we're seeing in modern movements. So I'd come home for my summer construction job and he'd tell me some crazy story of Bill Smith, what Bill Smith had done recently. So I began to hear about movement stuff. So my wife and I went to Indonesia in 1994. <clears throat> and uh we were there, uh, I was doing computer work, and I told people my hobby was unreached peoples. And we got to Indonesia. Uh, the first thing that began to happen was uh, identifying the unreached people groups. And so uh, I, had, I had seen what happened with David Barrett, the Anglican researcher for the World Christian Encyclopedia, where he came up with a an unreached people group list, and that list of 7,000 or so people groups allowed people to say, oh, okay, I'm going to go to that group. Whereas before, it's kind of like, well, where are they? So Indonesia was in that process of figuring out, well, what are the unreached people groups? And since I was relatively new and didn't have as much work going on, they tasked me to be a part of that effort. And so we came up with one list of unreached people groups. And we had a conference to pull people together in Indonesia and just share what we learned. And due to security is invitation only. Well, everybody loves to be invited to invitation only meetings, right? Because that shows that uh, you're a key player. So a lot of people say, hey, can we come? So we had about 400 Indonesian leaders and maybe 50 or so expats. And we put up this PowerPoint of the 100, at that point, I think 127 or so in people groups. And just the, you know, the numbers that had zero workers, zero believers, zero churches, was just stunning to see just over and over and over again. Um, you know, no Bible or hmm. just scripture portions. And I mean, you could just feel the room, the stunned silence. And at the end of it, Different people prayed. I remember specifically a, a man and a woman praying, and both of them said a similar word God, forgive us for this. This is our fault, it's our responsibility. And you know, they knew they were unreached peoples. I don't think anyone realized the magnitude of, you know, at that point, 
over 150 million unreached uh, people in unreached people groups. Yeah, majority Muslim, uh, actually probably just one Hindu on the island of Bali, and then some tribal religions, but the vast majority Muslim. And I think the fact there were no workers among, uh, there were only workers among 21 of 127. Well, that was shocking to everybody. That there were no known gospel workers among mm-hmm. so many. That created uh, and this that created this groundswell of let's let's go let's send people. And it was lots of churches, lots of agencies said let's let's send people. And we began working on a prayer profile book and you know one page profile for prayer. And, uh, within five years, over a hundred of those groups had workers among them. So that was exciting. Vast majority were Indonesian believers. Wow. That's even better. <laughs> there's this, you know, there's a significant number of Indonesian Christians. Um, mm. Eastern Indonesia has a lot of uh, majority Christian people groups. A lot of the Chinese background Indonesians, uh, you know, significant percentage of Christians. And then the Javanese movement back in the 60s, you know, several million. So most of them, the vast majority of the groups, had Indonesian workers, and then some of them had uh, Westerners as well. And we knew the Indonesians have to be the key. They have to be the ones to reach the country. They're closer culturally. They understand the situation better. They can go places we can't. Hmm. We Let's serve alongside them. Let's help make that happen. What we began to realize, you know, this is about the year 2000, is a lot of people were going to these groups, but they were basically reproducing a, a primarily Western model of church because that's the model of church in Indonesia that they had, they had understood. You know, they learned Christianity from Americans or from Dutch or from Australians, and they they just copied that Western form. We, we did them the disservice of giving them our culture along with the, the gospel. Um, and so we began to say, well, wait a minute, that, you know, the same approach in a different place isn't going to change anything. So about that time, you know, we'd heard of movements that had begun to start in other places. And, um, uh, the, you know, the first modern church playing movements, uh, were identified in 1995, uh, three of them. And they came up with the term church playing movement to describe what God had done that they were surprised he had done. You know, no one expected it that quickly. And so we had, we invited uh, Victor John from the Bose Prairie Movement in India. And I know you've had him on the podcast. And David Garrison as well, uh, who's been a phenomenal uh, mobilizer and researcher on the English world. So David came and presented on movements and the principles behind movements and Victor came and presented they you know did it together presented on more of the this is what it looks like these are the stories these are the you know the the realities of it after that we had a after that larger meeting we had a smaller meeting with some leaders and began to talk about well you know, what could this happen in Indonesia and, and the majority of Indonesian leaders at that time said, well, this can't happen in Indonesia mm. because we're a Muslim country. It can happen in India. It can happen in China. It can happen in Indonesia. 
And, you know, Victor said, hey, we were the graveyard of modern missions for 200 years. Don't, don't tell us, oh, of course it could happen in India. Um, There's so, also 100 million Muslims in India. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, you know, God decided he'd start the largest modern movement in the uh, holiest portion of uh, India, you know, Varanasi mm. and the Ganges. And, um, so that kind of began a, uh, some of us said, you know what, we, we believe this can happen here, but we don't know how to do this. Mm. And so uh, different ones of us, you know, I just began going and sitting in with David Watson and, and Victor John and Bill Smith and just trying to learn from the people who have been part of movements. Hmm. What's happening? How can we bring this back to Indonesia? And there were several others that were doing the same thing. Um, and so the tsunami in Aceh was a key breaking point in Indonesia. Um, a lot of prayer, the, the, the Indonesian prayer movement that grew up really in the 90s, uh, and a significant portion praying for the Edwards peoples, I think laid a lot of the groundwork for what happened, both in sending workers and then later the movements that began to happen. So the day before the tsunami happened, they had a large gathering, a prayer gathering, and there were different, you know, in different locations. And one of the key things they prayed was that God would open up the province of Aceh. Mm-hmm. It had closed down due to Sharia law and civil war and, and basically expelled almost everybody trying to share the gospel. Of course, no one expected the tsunami to be the thing that opened the doors, but it did. Mm-hmm. And God used that. And so a lot of people went to Aceh. A lot of workers went up there you know, for a few weeks at a time. Some people moved up there. And one of the main things that happened was the, the a lot of the people who came and, and lived there longer term didn't have a background in working among Muslims. They were kind of the more average Indonesian believer or even an average of a few outsiders as well. The, the ones who work with Muslims would come in for a week or two and they go back to their own you know, ministry that was significant at the time. So my wife and I and our three kids went up there and we we were up there for about four months. And so people said, hey, could you train us on how to reach Muslims? I said, uh, well, the best way to train you would be to train you on how to multiply, like you mm-hmm. were seeing in these movements. But I can't train you, right? Because only David Watson and Victor John and Bill Smith, these guys who've been partners, they're the only ones that I've ever seen trained. And the Lord said to me, you know how you seekers can discover who I am through scripture? You can do the same thing. Believers can discover the principles of multiplication and movements through scripture. You don't have to have, quote, started a movement to train them. Hmm. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll train. And um, uh, did it with a Indonesian uh, good friend and we said, all right, let's figure this out. We don't know what we're doing, but we're going to give it a shot. So we sat on the floor with about 30 leaders and looked at the biblical passages that gave the principles of movements and said, you know, this is a still a high security situation. We can't train everybody. 
We'll train you, but only if you'll train other people immediately. So we trained about 30. They ended up training about 200 people. Mm-hmm. And we just walked them through, you know, um, Luke 10 and Acts 2 on the church. And, you know, just these kind of, just the passages, just with, you know, 15 or 20 different lessons on different key principles. So that that began for me. I began to help other people reproduce that training. And it, it created a different dynamic. I mean, I, I still think these other guys who have you know, been part of movements, it's fantastic. But when I started training, I'd say, hey, I'm not arguing I've done this. I'm just saying if it's in the Bible, do it. And if it's not, don't. And it just lowered, you know, there was a lot of resistance to movements early on. There's a lot of resistance now. But it's like, oh, this is wrong. This is not like, okay, this is wrong, it's wrong. I'm not arguing that I'm right. I'm arguing mm-hmm. if it's in the Bible, you have to do it. If it's not, don't. Mm-hmm. It's not me. It's and that just created a different thing from, oh, I've been a part of this. This is what we've done. You know, now when you criticize, you're criticizing the people that I work with. Now, what happened was there were three or four, about four different networks that began the work of let's figure this out together and let's start applying it. And so, well, I'll tell you that there were more than that, but they're, they're kind of four movements that have even four movement networks that have emerged. And so people began to say, okay, let's find the person of peace. And they spent hours and days and months and years looking for persons of peace and figuring out, well, what do we do with them when we find them? And many of them will tell you, you know, we made all the mistakes and you know, let's do it differently. So what typically happened was a lot of people got trained and most people said, I tell you, some people said, nah, I don't like that. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Other people said, oh, that's good. And they started doing it, but after a while it didn't work. And they're like, oh, okay. And then some people said, you know what, I'm going to stick to this no matter what. And they began to just do the hard work. You know, it's been at this point 15 plus years of working it out, sticking to it, not giving up, perseverance, uh, adapting it. What keeps them going? The early ones, I think it was just a strong conviction. We're losing ground. The population is going far faster than we're reaching people. This is this is a biblical pattern. These are biblical models. Mm. They're, you know, what are the things we do? Well, you have to build a building. That's not in the Bible. Mm. Only pastors can baptize. Well, that's not in the Bible. There's only one leader of each church. Well, that's not in the Bible. We're using multiple leaders. Uh, only the professional can really do the job right. Well, that's not in the Bible. Mm. I mean, they literally began to compare what they were doing to biblical processes. Did Jesus have a strategy? Well, actually, he did. He didn't just kind of wander around hope for the best. You know, he he had a pattern, and then he sent out this 12 to just the Jews to do it, the 12 to the Jews and the Gentiles to do it, and then the 70 others to the Jews. Same basic pattern. You see, oh, okay, let, that's a better pattern than we've got. Let's try that pattern. Mm. And so people that were convic- convinced this is a biblical 
you know, there is a biblical foundation for the way this is happening, and it's happening in other parts of the world. Mm. Right? We've seen yeah. God do large multiplication elsewhere. Mm. So maybe it won't happen even in my lifetime, but am I mm. laying the groundwork for it where it could be multiplication as opposed to just addition? You know, a lot of people would say, as we began to do this ministry, you know, uh, uh, disciple-making movements, uh, church play movements, train for trainers, you know. Uh, but most, a lot of people say church play movements is the broad term we'd agree on. T for T or DMM or others are strategies to get to what we hope God will start, which is a church play movement. A lot of them would say, even before we saw any fruit among the lost, it began to change our lives. Mm. We began to focus on obedience-based discipleship, not knowledge-based discipleship. We began to pray much more uh, seriously than we had before. We actually had an idea of who we were looking for. You know, hey, this is a person of peace. Do they open their family or their family and friends? If they don't, they're not the pattern that Jesus gave. Now, there are exceptions, right? Paul is an exception. But this is a pattern. This is hmm. this is something I can hang on to rather than just kind of hoping for the best. And so a lot of them would tell you it changed the way they related to God, really, hmm. in, in some key ways. And it changed the way they did ministry. So even before there was fruit, they're like, yeah, this, this is, for me, a, a better way to do things. I, I say this, a lot of people, you know, make the mistake of saying, oh, everybody has to do exactly the same way. Oh, Russ, we would never say that. You know, I think in Indonesia, we've worked hard to keep good relationships with the existing church and have good relationships. There are denominations who've said, yeah, we're going to keep doing what we're doing, but this is a second track that we're going to mm. support. I, I think one of the good examples is um, a group began probably 20 years ago to, to try to work this out. How are we going to reach the unreached? They hadn't heard of movements that, you know, they just said, well, how are we going to reach the unreached? And uh, they began working in areas among unreached groups that, that uh, you know, hadn't had worked there before. Um, a key uh, American began to work with uh, an Indonesian team and they committed, we're going to help each other figure this out. We're going to learn these things. And so interestingly, after they've been going for, I don't know, five, six, seven years, they then got introduced to some of the other movements in other parts of the world. And a lot of what they were doing was very similar, but they had learned it in a sense directly under the Holy Spirit's guidance. Nobody had introduced it to them. And we used to laugh about it. They'd say, yeah, we didn't have to have these guys. The Holy Spirit just taught us. Mm -hmm. But the Holy Spirit was teaching the same things. He was teaching them, you know, you don't tell them what they should believe. Let God teach them. Your job is to sit down and study scripture with them and, and let them discuss it and think about it and, you know, let them come to faith. Focus on groups rather than on individuals. A lot of risk involved, and they'll tell stories of, of near 
basically assassinations of, of some of their key people. And yet they were full of faith. Uh, healings and miracles that, you know, shocked communities and opened them. Okay, well, all right, we're willing to study the NGL about Isa. Um, you know, and then this process of working through it. And, and then some key radical leaders saying, you know, I was fighting this. I, you know, basically like Saul. And now, um, you know, one of them said, you don't, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. There's no way God can forgive me. And he actually described some of what he had done. And the, the Indonesian believer said, that, that doesn't matter. I can forgive anyone of anything. So this group began working this out. You know, they had some conflict and overcame some things. And they'll tell you they made a lot of mistakes. And, you know, uh, translation of the Indonesian in a more contextual, actually a, a renewal of a very old translation that was more contextual as a key element to it. And then what happened was they, they just kept looking for other people who showed an interest and a potential. And they pulled them in and often with a different area to focus on. And so it started with one team and then there were two teams focusing on two different areas. And, but the two teams, would the leaders would gather every few months and this, the American was kind of the connector to help them begin to work through the conversations. And what about this? And we tried this and this worked, this didn't work. And, well, why are you doing that? Um, and then found somebody else and they, you know, third team. And so this, this network has at this point about 16 different teams focused on uh, 60 different center points, but most of them have jumped to multiple people groups, but they're still what they would call a band of brothers, where these brothers and sisters are helping each other, learning from each other, praying for each other, troubleshooting. Uh, you know, one one group tries an innovation and it really works, great. There, you know, the others are saying, okay, let's let's look at that. Uh, you know, one example when they got connected, some of these other movements, you know. Uh, shared the discovery questions that some movements have used. You know, what does this teach you about God? And what does it teach you about yourself? And how will you obey? And who will you share with? And what are your struggles? And, and said, you know, this is this pattern is helpful in some other contexts. Well, three or four of their kind of streams, so we're going to try that. And the others are like, yeah, we don't like that. The ones who tried it, came back after, you know, I think maybe six months and said, hey, this has really helped us because our culture is very mystical. And so we tend to be very kind of flexible. This actually honed us in on, you know, these are some key things you need to make sure you, you cover every time. And the growth of those groups was actually significantly larger than the ones who didn't try that approach. Oh, okay. Now the other ones said, hey, we're going to, we're going to try that. We're going to adapt to our thing. Mm. So I think this, this family of movements, not just one movement, but a family yeah. of movements that's impacting really all over the country at this point. It's just a beautiful example of mm. 
it's a lot easier to learn it together and help each other learn it and support each other and troubleshoot and cry with each other and celebrate with each other than it is just to do it on your own. Mm-hmm. Stan, what did you learn about your role as the outsider? So one of the things we did was we began to notice that a lot of the outsiders, um, and we just, the phrase we use is, you're not Paul, you're mm-hmm. Barnabas. A lot of outsiders thought they were Paul. Mm-hmm. They thought they had to be the frontline pioneer, start the groups, et cetera, et cetera. In most of these contexts, you're much better off mm. supporting the local person to do it. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean you're not sharing the gospel, doesn't mean mm. you're not doing it. I I I had a I've had this happen multiple times. These Indonesian guys were in a meeting, they said, you know, there's Stan and he's an outsider and he's come halfway around the world and he's sharing with people and you know, frankly, he's not that very, he's not that good. We're a, we're a lot better at it than he is. Yeah. He's got good language, but but we're from this country. We speak the language. We know the mm. country. You know, so yeah, he's all right, but we're way better. Mm. And yet he's doing it, we're not. Mm. That's embarrassing. Mm. If he's doing it poorly, how much more should we do it well? Mm. <laughs> so yeah. absolutely. So mm. I think the outsider can you'll be a spur in that way. Um, But our job is to help them do what what they do far better than we do. Dan, how did you change as a person through this journey with these brothers and sisters in Indonesia? You know, we've we've learned uh, so much from our brothers and sisters, one of the first things we learned was just their depth of prayer and fasting. Um, You know, you show up and they're about to have a 23-day fast for the 2300 people clusters. And uh, here's a 30-day fast for Ramadan. Um, So just the commitment to prayer and the seriousness that they, you know, that, that they express was one of the key lessons we learned. Uh, the willingness to take risk. You know, they, they have to take tremendous risks to work on many of these groups. And just to see their perseverance, their their joy. Um, you know, Indonesians have a very communal culture. And I, you know, I, although I was there as a child and still had some influence from that, you know, I had imbibed much of Western individualism. And so to see how do they, as a body, express the gospel? How do they look a whole lot more like Acts 2 than most of the Western churches I'd ever been a part of? Um, you know, we're learning from that. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of lessons, but those are, and, and just the, the, the love and the passion they have for those who've never heard the gospel. Mm. You know, many of them are first-generation believers. They know how dark it is without Christ. And it it drives them with great passion to reach those who especially never heard. Yeah, so after I uh, 
you know, kind of learn this reproducible training model of uh, DMM, uh, I, I ended up helping other groups, uh, agencies, or networks, in a sense, introduce that training into their, their sphere. So I ended up helping people in South Asia and Middle East, North Africa, Central Asia. And, you know, as more and more things began to happen in Indonesia, I was de- I was kind of like a Barnabas to the Barnabas to the Paul. I mean, I was kind of even a step back from the, uh, another step back. As things began to happen, I mean, I'm, I'm still helping, but I'm beginning to help in other parts of the world as well. And in Singapore, he put us in connection with Steve Smith and Stephen Lar Smith and uh, others, Neil Market Mims. And they were uh, mainly doing training there. And the Lord put us together to uh, actually were part of a house trip together for four or five years. And uh, I began to come to their trainings in T for T and try to learn what they were doing and learn from them things I could pass on. And then they would help me when I was doing more of the discovery model DMM training. And we began to learn from each other. In fact, Steve Smith and I wrote two articles for Mission Frontiers about basically, hey, guys, quit fighting. D for D, DMM, 80% plus the same. Here are the differences, but mm-hmm. partly due to context. And there are lots of hybrids, you know, people combining. So in, uh, Steve and I began to just over the years talk about what was happening in the world of movements. And in 2010, we invited people to a meeting uh, that represented a lot of the movements happening at that time. That time we we could track about 80 movements. And we began to say, hey, wait, this is starting to happen in quite a few more places. So then you know we began, we just kept kind of having those conversations. And um, in 2017, uh, Steve and I invited key movement leaders from around the world, uh, movements, agency leaders that were, you know, trying to help catalyze movements, uh, church leaders that were supporting and trying to help catalyze and support movements. We ended up with about uh, 70 people. And at that meeting, we said, hey, God's doing far more than any of us would have ever dreamed, imagined, asked or imagined. Um, and we basically saw kind of three major streams of movements represent. One would be more of the T for T, four fields movements. Uh, one would be the discovery DMM uh, movements. And then another stream that basically is led by former Muslim radicals that are seeing great multiplication all over the world. Um, and they'll tell you, you know, we're a little more this discovery approach, but we're a little more top-down, too, because that's kind of the culture we came from. Um, at that meeting, we shared data in a way we'd never shared before because there was enough, everyone in that room trusted other key players enough. And we realized there were over 550 movements, right? We thought we had a list of 153. We thought maybe there were 200. All of a sudden, because people shared 
the information in, in an environment trust fund. They're 553. Today, that number, partly new movements, partly more sharing of existing movements. We know there are 1,370 plus movements. Mm -hmm. So at that meeting in prayer and in conversation, we said, well, what's God saying to us? Mm. Right? He's doing literally an unprecedented mm. move around the world. We've never in history have we seen movements in every inhabited continent, every religious mm. sphere. Uh, now the, the total number of people movements, the current figure is about 80 million. So that's mm. about 1% of the world's population. That's, that's mm. astounding. So at the meeting, we just felt like God said, look, what's it going to take to fulfill the Great Commission? Mm -hmm. And we, we took the verse uh, from Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the mm -hmm. world as a sacrificial testimony to mm -hmm. all the ethnic. Mm -hmm. And then the end will come. Yeah. Right. We don't know when the end's going to come. Right. We don't mm -hmm. pretend to. We do know it will not come mm -hmm. when there are ethne who have still never heard the gospel, right? In the Great Commission, Jesus said, disciple all the ethne, not mm -hmm. the diet. So we just said, okay, what's it going to take to disciple, to reach mm -hmm. every people and place? Because we recognize if you just look at peoples, what do you do with a city that has 400 people groups, mm -hmm. Right. So we said, let's do peoples and places. Yeah. And, you know, the, the people in that place are the people in the people group. There, there's some great crossover, but that makes us that much more confident everyone's had the chance. It is a global movement. Mm -hmm. God is the one building his church all over the world. And the reality is uh, 80 plus percent of movements are, have been started by other movements. It kind of makes sense, right? Once you've started a movement, you know how to start one. And you can go to your neighboring people group, sometimes organically, sometimes intentionally, sometimes both. And so the, the key to starting movements in every one of those people in place is to get behind the movements and help them start more movements. So 2414 is a network of movements and those who want to see movements happen his goal is to see movements in every language. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Find out more at 2414now.net and visit movements.net to find out how you can be involved in the 40-day challenge. This has been Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.